0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 16th episode of Lab Rat Chat. This podcast is supported by Americans for Medical Progress through the Michael D. Hare Fellowship, which is awarded annually to support projects that inform and educate the public about the critical role of animal research in furthering medical progress. This fellowship honors the late Dr. Michael Hare, a renowned board-certified laboratory animal veterinarian who dedicated his career to scientific and medical advancements, and who was deeply committed to animal welfare and advocacy. In this episode, we got to talk with Lisa Roberts, a vet tech up at the University of Connecticut and who was also a friend and someone who Danielle used to work with during her time up at UConn. Lisa told us about some of the many things vet techs and animal care technicians do on a daily basis to ensure the highest quality of care is provided to these animals at all times. She also provided some insight into what you can do if you're considering a career as a technician within the animal research field. So, without further ado, we want to thank Lisa for taking the time to talk with us today. And everyone, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Lab Rat Chat. Hey, everybody! Welcome into this next episode of Lab Rat Chat. Thank you for joining and listening today. And I want to take just a quick second, as we do with every episode, to remind you to please get out there, rate and review our show through iTunes or Stitcher or Podchasers or any other platform you can use to rate and review podcasts. Please get out there and do that for us. It really helps. and really makes a difference. Also, feel free to follow us on social media. And please do. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And also, if you ever have any comments that you don't want to put on social media and you want to email Danielle and I directly, you can do that, liveratchat at gmail.com. And so for today, we're going to mix things up a little bit. And Danielle is going to introduce today's guest. So go ahead, Danielle.
1: Yes. So I'm very excited to introduce... Today, we get to speak with Lisa Roberts. She's an animal care specialist at University of Connecticut. She is a dear friend of mine, and I would definitely call her a mentor throughout my career. I worked with her right out of college, I guess, and we've stayed in touch. So I'm really excited that we get to speak with her and get a different perspective from within the lab animal field. So hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Danielle. Thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. Yeah. So if you could tell our listeners, maybe discuss your background a little bit, what got you interested in this field? How did you get involved? And just kind of a journey through your career today.
2: So I'd like to start out by saying, you know, I loved animals from a child, which a lot of people get into different roles within animal care. Based on that, I went to a vocational agricultural school in Rockville, Connecticut. I'm now on the consulting committee for that school. I represent my town there. And I like to say that when I went to school, there was no talk about animal research or or any kind of jobs in animal research. And I've spoken to the teachers at that program and have gotten them to bring up in their roles about the different roles in animal research that someone can be a part of and to make it exciting and to make it, you know, not negative. So um, I've introduced rhetoric for them to bring up. I started here at University of Connecticut in 1995 as an ag worker, went on to become an animal care tech for many years, and then an animal care specialist, which I am now.
1: Awesome. We've spoken with quite a few veterinarians and the investigators, but we definitely want to represent all sides of the lab animal research world. So we're super excited that we get to have someone from the animal care side. Maybe you could tell everyone about sort of your day-to-day responsibilities and what life is like working in an animal facility. Currently, I am a vet tech and um, my
2: responsibilities in this position, which I've worked up to, I do not have a vet tech degree per se, but I have worked in this industry for 25 years. I address any kind of issues that come up with the animals as far as health. We do rounds, we assist in surgeries, we do post-ops. As an animal care tech, I felt like I was the first line of defense for those animals. So I would come in, we would check all the animals first thing in the morning, make sure everyone's doing well, and then change cages, report any concerns to the vet staff.
0: All right. So if you would a little bit, Lisa, just tell us about some of the various positions and roles that your institution has within the animal care facility, and maybe elaborate a little bit on how you get to interact with everyone. You know, kind of like how you report sick animals to the vet techs, or, or you know, I mean, you're one of the vet techs, or how you report the sick animals to the vets, or report facility problems and stuff like that, and how you get to interact with veterinarians, researchers, the animals. And if you would, just tell us a little bit about that.
2: Okay. So here at UConn, you know, we are academic, I know that in industry, things run a little bit differently, but we don't have dedicated cage wash staff here. Our animal care techs change cages, rotate through the washroom, do all the cleaning, all the necessary things. Really just want to give a shout out to the animal care techs. Appreciate all they do. They're the front line of this industry. Then we have the vet techs. So the animal care techs will write out a sheet. We use a pink sheet so it stands out. They put down the PI, the protocol number, the animal species, all information like where it's located, what's wrong with it or what they see that may be an issue and they put it, flag it onto the room door. The vet techs, we go around two, three times a day, pick those up, address the concern. We may put them on a treatment. We may put them on a visual, like we need to monitor them every day, every few days. Whatever we decide to do, we have a red card that's flagged on the cage. We write down what the treatment is on that card. And either the vet techs or the animal care techs will take care of that. We also have a trainer position. We have compliance officer. We have the attending vet or director and the IACUC specialist and support.
1: I think another interesting aspect that a lot of people don't talk about is even the animal caretakers, they have to do the, you know, more mundane tasks of sanitizing walls and sweeping the floor every day. And these things that you might not really think about, but they have to get done. Otherwise, you know, bedding and debris would build up over time. And I just, the work they do is so valuable. Even with the the less fun activities, obviously caring for animals is probably the more fun side of the job, but they also have to do the dirty work too, I guess. So we definitely appreciate them in the frontline aspect of this industry. I totally agree with that, Danielle. A lot of people get into this
2: industry because of their love for animals. Yes, you want to handle animals and play with rabbits and cats and things, but you can do that. But you also, you know, they also need to, they're doing most of the cleaning. And in industry, it's much different than, like, say, at a vet clinic, we're required to keep things at a high stand of
1: care. Yeah.
2: You know, and cleanliness and dating.
1: (laughs) And everything's (laughs) logged. There's room logs for everything. There's There's so much regulation oversight that I think people don't understand. Yeah. I'd actually probably be more comfortable eating off the floor of a, Lab animal facility than a vet clinic. <laughs> True. <laughs>
0: I would too. If there's any laboratory or place or any floor that I'd feel comfortable eating off of, it'd be in a vivarium. They're always perfectly, I mean, there's, the walls are shiny, the floors are shiny, you know, everything's immaculate, not what you picture, you know, when you may listen to the other side, if you will, talk about animal research.
2: Exactly. They want to show the
0: worst. Yes. And what vivariums look like, you know, there's not drips coming from pipes that are exposed in the ceiling, stuff like that. But we've talked a lot about that. So, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So Lisa, what are some of your favorite projects that you've been able to be a part of? And do you have like a favorite species that you get to work with? Because I, from my time at UConn, I know we had a variety of species. I don't know what's still there now, but if you have a favorite.
2: Well, one of my favorite was the naked mole rats, which we don't have anymore.
1: I talked about them on another episode. Oh. <laughs>
2: I'm very sad to say that that PI had retired and his colony went off to other universities because they do live so long that you can get attached to like certain individuals when they live for 20 years. (laughs) Yeah. So I do really enjoy working with the rabbits here. The rabbits are like a long-term study, so you can get attached to them.
1: Do you have any like favorite specific like research projects that you've been a part of? Maybe you can't get into the specifics of the science too much, but just different areas that investigators look into.
2: One of my favorite PIs does muscle research, and I've actually worked with him since he came back in early 2000. And I still work with that group. They have a large colony, they do genetics mostly, and I'm fascinated by it. And they actually are studying muscular dystrophy and another condition called FOP, which is where the muscle, the skeletal muscle, actually ossifies into bone. And it is a condition seen in people. And that group has developed a strain of mice to study this with. So it's really exciting.
0: Yeah, it's amazing what these scientists and these researchers who are much smarter than I am are able to come up with and the mice strains and different animal strains are able to develop to study different diseases and things like that. So it always blows my mind to hear stories like that. So Lisa, if you could a little bit, just if any of our listeners out there are thinking about a career in live animal science, I know we've talked a lot about you know, a potential career option for veterinarians, but outside of being a veterinarian, vet techs, technicians, husbandry staff, do you have any advice for those people? Um, what would you tell them or perhaps certain things that they should experience or do that they could put on their resume that you would look for when you're hiring in this industry?
2: Just the love of the animals and working, wanting to work with animals. Get out there, maybe work at a pet store with mice or rats, handling mice and rats, because that really is like here at least 99.8% of our species. So whenever we can see someone with some experience in handling mice and rats, that's kind of key for an entry level position. We don't want people to be fearful of them. But in all honesty, if you have a drive for it and you understand the benefits of it, that's also like a really good point if people feel strongly about supporting research.
1: I think a, a cool aspect of this industry is that you don't necessarily have to have a college degree in it. Or in it you know, There are entry-level jobs, and I think there's a lot of respect for working your way up, just like how you had discussed, you've been in this field for, what did you say, 25 years, or at least with UConn for that long. And you, know, you work your way up, and I think it, that's one of the benefits of this industry is that there's room for growth, and you don't necessarily have to have the college degree to start out here. Yes, that's a very good point. I think we talked about the certification levels in another episode, but you know, once you do get into the industry, you can kind of get past different tests and get different letters after your name that kind of show that you're qualified for more responsibility. So I think that's another cool aspect.
2: Yes, I think that we do tend to look a little closer at people that maybe have the ALAS certification at ALAT for an animal care tech position because then they understand a little bit more about the industry by studying and taking that test even if they haven't been a part of the industry.
1: Yeah. So I guess individuals can actually work towards that certification on their own prior to getting into the industry. They just have to have some animal handling experience, I think? Correct. Okay.
2: Yes. And if they had non-industry experience, it is a little bit more, I believe, more time that you have to spend working in a field of, say, like at a pet store or vet clinic that's not associated with animal research.
1: Okay we ask all of our guests the same question, but sort of how do they interact with the public if you're in a situation where someone might ask you, what do you do for a living? If you're, you know, sitting next to someone on an airplane before COVID, (laughs) (laughs) you know, if you're just even at a party and people just ask, you know, what do you do? Do you bring up the animal research component and how do you kind of handle those conversations? So
2: I do have a good story probably about that. I always tell people what I do. I'm not afraid to tell people what I do. I enjoy telling people what I do because I feel that there's such negativity toward animal research that the more we talk about positivity about it, the better it will be all around. I was heading back from a a last conference one year and I sat next to a gentleman on the plane and he asked me what I did and I began to tell him what I did here at UConn. He was very fascinated by it. We talked the whole three-hour trip or two-and-a-half-hour trip about back and forth, but about my position. And he actually was the head of a snack company (laughs) out here in New England, like chips. (laughs) You know, just someone that just doesn't know, like he just didn't know anything really besides the negative that's out there. And I know that different animal rights groups spend so much money on that advertising. It's unfortunate that our money goes toward the research, not necessarily towards advertising. So I'm really appreciative of a show like this that brings it out to the forefront and we can speak about it.
1: Yeah, we've gotten a lot of really nice feedback from new listeners, people who kind of didn't know about this industry. And it's always nice to hear from our listeners. And we've been getting some nice people have been messaging us through Instagram and emailing us. So we appreciate it. (laughs)
0: Yep, we read every comment and review and email that we get. So thank you guys for leaving those reviews out there.
1: The guy on the plane, did he seem opposed to the industry when you started talking or was he just open to hearing your side of it?
2: I kind of feel like when I first say it, And what I do, I usually say, you know, I'm an animal care specialist at UConn and or a vet tech now I say. And they're like, oh, yeah, the farm animals. I'm like, nope, I don't work with the farm animals. I work with the lab animals. And then they kind of get this little bit of a glazed over look or a uh, what do you mean look? <laughs> and I kind of get that from most people. And then I just explain my position and what I do and what we do here and what, you know, animal research is about. So I don't think it was necessarily negative. You know, you can kind of see that look in people's eyes where they're like, ugh, animal research. Yeah. You know, and then that's when I start in on what all the good that we do yeah and they kind of have that light bulb moment of oh okay yeah (laughs) yeah then then they come back around if you start talking positively about it and just this is what we do and this is why we do it then i feel like people
0: i I think that's the important takeaway we've gotten from a lot of these questions that we've been asking our guests is it's not don't try to force your opinion or your beliefs you know how you feel about animal research just simply explaining what the field is like and the passion that people have for these animals And just how well they're taken care of and just really just explaining what you do shows them how compassionate this field is and how the animals are really well taken care of. And I remember what I was going to say now. I was going to say I was going to talk about poll numbers. I think poll numbers are out there, which I, I mean, I don't know who's taking these polls. I never know who's answering polls. I don't get emails. To take them, um, and I don't know if you guys do either. Uh, no yeah. clue. But anyways, the poll numbers are starting to trend up a little bit in favor of the public supporting animal research, and maybe some of that's from COVID, or maybe some of that is from yeah. I would like to say podcasts like this one and some other ones that are out there that are helping to kind of spread the message and the positive side of animal research.
1: I think we should take like sole ownership of that poll increase and just know that it's because <laughs> of this podcast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'll exactly. Go with that. I'll contact the poll <laughs> owner and tell them to credit source lab chat. All right, Lisa, do you have any other final statements or thoughts or anything that you want to talk about that we haven't covered um, that you think our listeners need to know about regarding what you do or the use of animals in research or I mean, any other topic?
2: So I did want to hit on something else that I wanted to mention earlier and I just didn't do it. I forgot. When we're talking about animal care techs, I feel like When I was in that position, and now I feel like it for the people that are in that position, they are an advocate or a voice for the animals. They see and interact with them daily, and they'll notice those subtle changes in their behavior. And they can identify a condition early on. And you know, it's so important to have people in those positions that are intuitive to that. And I feel like people that have a love for animals are the people that are drawn to this position, and they are very good at that job.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the best points we can make on the show is that the people who work in this industry are so dedicated to the industry. And that's just the best mentality to have for anyone working with these amazing animals that are just really contributing so much to society. And even, you know, we've talked about it also, just the vet industry, you know, taking your dog to the vet most of those treatments have gone through animal research. So they certainly have.
0: Yeah, I've always found it pretty fascinating when you go in these rooms or you go along with the vet tech or animal husbandry staff or care technician, and there's two or 300 mice in a room, maybe more. But you think, how are you going to look at every single one of these mice? And you think maybe they could just brush it off and just run their finger along each cage and make sure there's movement in each one. But I mean, they'll take the cages out Hold them up, look around, make sure they can visualize each and every animal that's in there and make sure you know everybody's accounted for and looks healthy and put them back. And like you said earlier, if they're not, they'll flag it and have you know somebody else come take a look at the animals. So it's really incredible, and you're right, they do have to have a certain level of compassion and just desire and and want to be there.
1: You know, from my time as an animal caretaker to Lisa's point, I almost used to follow like a typewriter pattern. You know, you get on your step ladder because some of the top cages are too high up and you just go across, down, over, down, across, down. And you really do get to learn the animals in each cage, which sounds crazy because you're looking at so many cages in a day. But you kind of get familiar like, oh, the next cage has three mice, the next cage has four mice, and you know what color they're going to be. And you can really pick up on these little changes in like, ooh, you know, his whiskers looked sad and his ears were down. Let me take a closer look to make sure he's just maybe resting instead of not feeling well. Or, you know, you you pick up on these tiny details. And uh, it's really an experience to get to know the room that you're responsible for. And um, it is possible to pick up on these tiny, tiny changes.
0: Very good point. All right, Lisa. Well, we appreciate you coming on LabRat Chat today and talking with Danielle and I. It's been fun. It's definitely been a little bit different narrative than we've gotten before. It's nice to hear from you know someone working you know down in the trenches, if you will, doing the hard work every day. And we appreciate you and everyone else out there doing that work.
2: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be on your show.
0: Anytime. And just a reminder, again, start the show with it, end the show with it. Rate and review Librat Chat on any platform that you can out there. And follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And email Danielle and I anytime, LibratChat at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.